Last week, we got almost through our study on how to speak truth in love, and I want to finish it today, which means that we'll actually conclude the study next week where we're going to talk about how to resolve conflict, what the Bible says about embracing conflict as an opportunity to grow and to bless each other and to bless God. So that's a really important one, and I hope you'll, you'll come to that. Today, we're going to continue our study on how to speak into people, not at them. And I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 4. I thought it would be good to start today by just reviewing why this whole issue of learning to communicate well with one another is so critical for our life as a church. I've chosen to do this series now because I think as we strive towards spiritual community, building relationships, making connections, as we reach out with what we believe are some bold visions for how we want to see God impact the greater Worcester region. Um, The vision is, I think, consistent with what God calls us to do as his followers. He says the fields are white to harvest. The problem isn't people ready to come to faith in Jesus. It's people willing to go out and get them. It's workers, Jesus said. Pray the Lord of the harvest. We're willing to be those workers. So much of, of what we see God doing is exciting. If there's any place the enemy can shut us down quickly, as so often happens with, with church plants and new starts, is by breaking in the relationships. And this is not because I think there is an issue. This is just to, to get us set and prepared and committed to conducting ourselves with one another in a way that God teaches us to. And communication is not an area that that a lot of churches spend a lot of time dealing with. So to me, it's a blessing that we get to do this now. The things I'm sharing with you, I'm going to ask you, as part of the Journey Community Church, to commit yourself, as I commit to you as pastor, to conduct ourselves with each other in a way that honors God. To me, nothing is more important other than the gospel than how we interact with each other and that we commit ourselves to it. I want to show you the importance of that just by doing a quick survey, a quick overview of Ephesians 4. This is a passage that we've alluded to in different ways over the last few months because it's one of the few blueprints as to how the church is to function in the whole of Scripture. Chapter 4, verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Remember how I've told you that when Paul writes a letter in the New Testament, he begins with a profound theological truth, always rooted in the gospel and its implications. And some of the greatest teachings about the person of Jesus Christ come in these early chapters of Paul's epistles. But then there's a point in every one of his letters where he turns the corner and he says, basically answers the question, so what? Now that we know this, how should it impact how we live? And then the rest of his letter is, this is how this should live in your relationships, in your marriages, in your families, in the body of Christ, in the workplace, with government. So the gospel is not meant to be just something that makes us right with God. It's supposed to permeate our lives. It's supposed to be lived out in a way that transforms us and transforms culture around us. The verse I've just read in Ephesians 4 is that transition in the book of Ephesians. What he's talked about is our calling in Christ. That's the first three chapters. Now he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of that calling. And so now he's going to go on and explain that. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
This is an important verse. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Interesting. The first thing that Paul hits when he talks about living a life worthy of our calling is pursuing peace, maintaining unity. And he admits it's hard work. (laughs) Make every effort to maintain and keep the unity. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he's talking about this unity of God that we are a part of, the oneness of God that's to be reflected in our body. Now, what we have as we go forward through verse 16 is how that unity is, is fleshed out in the interaction of the body of Christ so that we grow together in him. Now, we're going to jump down to verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. That's the spiritual leadership that God has given the church. And then he goes on and says, He has given them, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So here's a second level of unity. The first is relational unity. We make every effort to keep unity. And now he says, now we want our unity to be also part of our spiritual progression. We all want to grow and achieve a level of spiritual community that has to do with all of us growing in Christ. And the only way we do that is if all of us invest. Let's read on. Uh, Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. That's a description of an immature believer. They're easily swayed by false doctrine and extreme teachings. That's what Paul wants to avoid. And we do that by being in spiritual community and pursuing unity in our spiritual maturing. All right, we will no longer be that. And then he goes on and says, instead, verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love. That's the phrase I want you to hold on to. Instead, by speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So there's a unity of spirit and relationship. There's a unity of growth. And there's a unity of commitment to serving and doing our part to help each other grow. See? And one of the primary things that allows us all to grow fully into him, who is the head, even Christ, Christ-likeness. And the only way I can fully become that, the only way you can fully become that, is if we learn as a spiritual community the secret of speaking truth in love to one another. See? That's why learning to communicate clearly, to listen and hear one another and hear God, and then finally speak, is so critical. Now, I want to just go on and show you what Paul deals with next. So he talks about this important unity that we're trying to achieve, relational unity, maturing unity, serving unity, and then unity to Christ. And 
at the core of it is our relationship and our ability to communicate God's truth to each other. Now he goes on. So, I tell you this, that's verse 17, and insist on it. Okay, so right away what we see is that this is a follow-up to what he's been teaching, right? It says, so, because of that, there's something I really need to insist on. It's very rare that Paul says that. He says, this is so critical. The process can't happen without this. And then he goes on. And he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. How? In the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in everything of impurity with a continual lust for more. It's a lot of hyperbole, a lot of big, dark statements that it might be very hard for those of us that have been Christians for a long time to think that we're even capable of at this point. But what he's describing is the reality of our life and who we can become at any moment on a day that we don't take up our cross and follow him. And it's not the actions at the end. It's not the giving over to sensuality. All that means is doing my own thing, living for me. You know, and never having enough. That's the longing that living for me creates. It's, it's not that that we fight. It's the thought patterns that drive us to that, that Paul says get in our way. You no longer live like the pagans. Well, how do we live like people who are outside of Jesus? In the futility of their thinking. Paul's saying that's going to keep you as a body from living out this ideal unity. You may be trying to live right, but if you don't change what's going on in your heart and in your head and learn to think and process differently than the world around you, you will never be this beautiful image of unity that God wants for the body. That's why in Romans 12 too, Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, the, the patterns, the way we go about doing things, but be transformed. How? By just creating a list that we follow that's different than the world? No, that's legalism. That's the Pharisees. No. How do we no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world? We be transformed how? By renewing our mind. All too often we think that's just getting the right information in the mind. It's not. It's about changing the programming. It's not just changing what I think. It's changing how I think. Paul goes on in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. You heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So when God's transforming our thinking, it works into a life of integrity. But then he goes on and he talks about how if we can't stop the way we think in the old patterns then we're never going to be able to relate in grace and mercy to one another. And that's where we get down to verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all. I'm going to read some strong words. I want you to think of each of these things as stuff you do on a regular basis. Even though we don't like the strength of the language, we all do these things. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. What we see here is a critical string of things that have to follow each other. First is this ideal of living in unity, growing united in Christ, serving in unity by learning to communicate truth in love to one another. Then we see what could get in the way, and that's all those thought patterns that drive us, that voice in our head that is the sum total of all of our negative fears, all of our negative experiences, all the decisions we've made, our belief systems, all those things that are part of that old way of thinking. The reason why you will go into churches and see people that have been in churches for years, maybe even serving on boards, and they are very flawed people in terms of their character is because no one has ever really bothered to sit them down and speak truth and love to them and let them do the hard work of changing those internal thought patterns. We tolerate a way of thinking that is consistently prone towards misunderstanding and conflict in people. We tolerate social immaturity in people. We tolerate subtle shades of gray in terms of truth in people and think that somehow we can still achieve the life that God called us to. We can't. We can't. We have to break out of those old ways of thinking, and that allows us to deal with each other instead of with malice and mistrust and anger and bitterness which are present in churches all over the place. The only way we can get past that and instead be gracious to one another, forgiving one another, as in Christ God forgave you, is to allow God to do a transforming work in us, which gives us the ability to be in a safe place where we can just speak into each other's lives. See? So this is not a small thing. This is not meant to be just a practical, helpful little series. This is meant to transform how we are with one another. So let's turn now to where we were in this study last week. We talked about six things, and the first one was to speak reluctantly. Speaking reluctantly allows for and expects a need to clarify what you're thinking, to maybe hear if those first assumptions are somehow off base so that when I finally do speak, I'm speaking effectively. I am responding rather than just reacting. You may remember I told you to put a line in your notes uh, and then put a one on the left side and a five on the other. Do you remember we did that last week, those of you who were here? What I want you to do is think through the last argument you had with somebody, this week maybe, yesterday, in the car on the way to church. Maybe you're in the middle of one. You're going to pick it up after the service in the car on the way home. And what we're going to do is you're going to look at yourself in that conversation. 
on a scale of one to five, five being the best that you withheld until you had a deeper understanding, and finally when you spoke, it was with a little bit of hesitancy, or one being you just shot your mouth off. Put on a scale of one to five how you were in that conflict, all right? Psalm 141, post a guard at my mouth, O God. Set a watch at the door of my lips. That should be my theme verse for life. First, speak reluctantly. Second, speak thoughtfully. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous weighs its answer. We think speaking considerately means just being polite. It's like that old southern thing that thinks you can say anything rude to somebody as long as you end with, bless your heart. (laughs) Isn't that the ugliest baby in the city, bless his heart? (laughs) Right? Wasn't that just a dumb thing to say, bless your heart? We think considerate is how you say things. It's not. Considerate means actually considering (laughs) and processing so that when you speak, it's thoughtful. There is more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking, Proverbs 21, 20. Third, we need to speak humbly. There isn't a thing in that passage that we read in Ephesians 4, bitterness, malice, anger, arguments, that all of us are not capable of and that we don't do on a routine basis. Paul says, instead, we need to treat each other with grace. Be kind-hearted, compassionate. And here's the standard. Speaking with grace to one another, consistent with the grace that we ourselves have received from God. little humility when we come to approach someone to try to communicate with them, aware of our own issues, our own inability to often grasp what's happening. Little, little humility would go a long way. Fourth, and this is where we ended up last week, Speak truthfully. The only way that the body of Christ can be what God calls it to be and become what God aspires it to become is that we learn to speak truthfully to one another. And that that brings up a whole bunch of issues. We are essentially a culture of white lies and half-truths. And we think that's how you succeed. And so we have become accustomed to that in the body of Christ. And we think that's a godly path. We're lying in the name of Jesus. Just think about that. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. Scripture says, the truth will set you free. Our problem is we just don't trust truth. We trust our rackets. We trust our cons. What would it be like if we all really just trusted truth? and spoke it to one another, trusted it to come out if it was in an an environment of love and grace and acceptance and humility. What would that look like? Imagine the things that each of us would be able to address and grow through if we had a safe place for that to happen. Another thing that comes up when you think about speaking truthfully is just the whole question of how do you know when what you're saying is truth? Let's talk about that a little bit, because there's no way that we can in our communication with each other except for speaking the Word of God to one another, bringing Scripture to bear in each other's lives, that we can ever speak perfect truth. The word is truthfully. 
It's about authenticity as much as it is about accuracy. So when it says speaking the truth in love to one another, it's not saying God has given me a word and here it is for you. It's the act of speaking authentically to one another with humility, with grace, with reluctance, with openness, trusting that God will bring understanding through it. You see, when a lot of us view conflict, we see it as my box and your box, box A and box B. I view truth as box A. This is my truth. I love that phrase, don't you? That's your truth. This is my truth. This is what I believe is true of the situation that we're discussing or the conflict or the disagreement. That's, for me, that's truth. You're over here. You're B. This is your box, and this is what you think is true. So we've got a problem here. What are ways that we typically try to resolve this issue? Here are the first two options. A wins and B loses, or B wins and A loses. What are other options? Agree to disagree. Agree to disagree, which means really nobody wins. Now, there are certain things that we should agree to disagree, don't you see? Because they just don't matter. What about the stuff that matters? First option is A wins. Second option is B wins. Third option is nobody wins. What's the fourth way that we think of as the more mature way to deal with this? Compromise. What happens in compromise? A wins some, B wins some, and because everybody gets a little, we think we're happy right? And in the business world or in the regular world, compromise can be a good thing. But does compromise mean that God's truth has actually been discovered? To learn to approach and to seek truth is to get ourselves outside of our boxes and say, what is real here? A young woman that I used to know used to say, my mama always said to me, there's what you say happened, there's what you say happened, and then there's what happened. Truth-seeking is being willing to not assume that my box and your box are right in any way. There may be something that neither of us are considering that has to be discovered. It's an openness to what else is there. We don't typically do that even in our culture, let alone in the church. That's what it means to pursue truth in a way that allows us to embrace it and to grow through it. It's not about your understanding as much as it is you're engaging in a discovery process where God can bring understanding. Does that make sense? Okay, now let's move on. Five, we need to speak generously. 1 Peter 3, do not trade insult for insult. Instead, respond with a blessing. Don't you find a lot of arguments or swapping insults with one another? You always, you never. That was a stupid thing to say. We trade insult for insult. The Bible says, no, you see, you get to choose. You don't have to play that game. Instead of exchanging insults, you can be the one that brings a blessing into it. Your response is no one's fault but your own. Speak generously. And then finally, this is really important. This is a concept that in itself could transform how we communicate in every situation, and that is we need to speak redemptively. There's this powerful verse in 1 Peter 4. If anyone speaks, let's just stop there. 
So does that cover basically any conversation? If you're going to speak at all, in all situations, is there ever a situation that that clause doesn't cover? No. If anyone speaks, what's the standard? Oh, boy. Do it as one speaking the very words of God. Wow. That's what we aspire to. Every time I speak, it's as though it's the very words of God. Why? Because words bring life, words bring death. I create in some sense every time I open my mouth. The point here is to aspire that everything I say reflects the God who is in me, who wants me to live for his glory, who wants me to be an ambassador of reconciliation, and to have the words that I say be redemptive, because that's what God's about. He's not willing for any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance and to come to new life in Him, and He wants all those that have come to new life in Him to grow up into every area into Him who's the head. There's that really powerful verse in Ephesians 5, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in your heart to the Lord. Speak to one another. See, these are all musical terms, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But it's interesting that Paul uses the word speaking, not singing to one another. Speaking. In other words, it's the truth that is reflected in the psalms, in hymns, which are about theology. Spiritual songs are about the testimony of what God's done in our lives. As we share those with each other, even if we just do it speaking, what happens? We make music to God. It's music to God's ears when we communicate to one another in a way that is redemptive. Okay, so just quickly as far as evaluation. In terms of each of these areas, speak reluctantly. Scale of one to five, how did you do? Five being the best. Speak thoughtfully. How did you do on a scale of one to five on that? Speaking humbly. Were you proud or were you aware of your own? inadequacies, speaking truthfully. Were you honest? Were you honest with yourself? Did you speak generously or did you trade insults? Trading insults is one. Speaking blessing is five. How did you do on that scale in that argument? And then finally, did you speak redemptively? Were you just venting out of your own anger or were your words those things that would reflect God in you? Do that real quick. Now, here's the last thing I want you to do. I want you to take away one from every one of those answers. (laughs) So if you said three, make it a two. If you said five, make it a four. If you said one, make it a zero. Because chances are you've been giving yourself a little more benefit of the doubt this whole time than you should have. Because that's the game we all play. You already did that? Good for you, John. Do it again. (laughs) just speaks of a deeper need in you. This is what we're supposed to be to one another. What a great place to be in our heads when we come to celebrate the Lord's table, which we're going to do now, because we are to offer grace to one another in the same way God offered grace to us. Kind, compassionate, forgiving one another, as in Christ, God forgave you. The broken bread represents the body of Christ that was bruised for us. The cup represents the blood that was shed for us. That act 
that allowed us to receive forgiveness through his redemption. I'd like to ask you to sit quietly for just a few minutes. And as you prepare for the Lord's table today, I'd like you to think about a relationship that is broken right now in your life. And I want you to ask God to reveal to you your role in it. And I want you to ask yourself, based on the mercy that Christ has shown you, I want you to extend that grace into that relationship. And perhaps what will come out of it is the need for a phone call or a cup of coffee with someone, or an apology. Let's let this hit home and just think about God's grace, extending that to one another. You sit quietly, and then we're going to prepare for the Lord's table.